Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of James, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander anyone. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Before I forget, I just uh, meant to mention earlier that we're going to have a fun day, back to school fun day on August 21st uh, from 11 to 2. So right down the hill here, there's a park, Petworth Rec Center, and that's where it would be. Uh, there will be some fun and games. I think there's going to be a kickball game between adults and children. Uh, so come out, bring your, bring your picnic, uh, a sandwich or two, something to drink, and, and uh, a towel or a blanket, whatever it is that would make you happy to be with everyone that day. A great chance to uh, meet neighbors as well. Um, and the rec center is just awesome, awesome place to be. So want to uh, put that in your minds, and there are some other announcements that are going around about it in, for the weeks to come. But uh, sign up. You know, there will be some opportunity to sign up to participate in some other kinds of ways as well. All right. Well, as we come before the Lord today, we come opening his word uh, back to the book of James, which we've been walking through um, this past month or so. But today we want to look at James chapter four. But before we do that, let's bow our heads and pray to God. Heavenly Father, we pause before you asking that God, you will come minister to our hearts in this short time. Father, we need a word from you, a word from heaven, something that will not just remind us of your faithfulness, but will move us to be faithful like you. Be with us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he walked into the courtroom 
and he stood before the judge. And the judge began to work through his papers and read off all of the convictions. And then she, at the end, she asked him, are you Arthur Booth who went to Nautilus? And he just broke down in a cheerful way, but in a distraught way saying, oh yes, oh my God. The judge and the one who was convicted were middle school playmates. They had known each other from long ago. And the judge said, I wonder what happened to you. And, I'm so, and it's so unfortunate that you have fell on hard times. So the one who was convicted of the crimes after middle school and sometime after he got into drugs, he got into petty crimes and uh, a couple of prison sentences. And that led him to a, a life, having a life where he just stayed in trouble. And the judge said to him, hey, we hope we can get this cleaned up so that you can go on to live a lawful life. It is so hard to live a lawful life. We think about perfection, which is so hard to do. We think about the law of God, which is so hard to follow if we're being honest with ourselves. We think about being good. We want to be good, but it's so hard to be good. It's not enough to be good to stand before God and before each other. And we're still sort of inundated with this type of language. Be good. Will others treat me better if I'm good? Will I be judged less severely by my friends, coworkers, families when I'm good? We may even express that to our children from time to time. Be good. Do well. Sometimes our hearts, in our hearts, we really do believe, don't we? That God is a merit-based God. That God likes us better when we're being good and doing good things. Well, I'm here to tell you today, friends, and I need to preach this to my own heart. God's love and care is not based on our goodness, but on his mercy. The Christians that James addresses here believe that they had a common goodness to protect. They believe that they were right in their own eyes. But in actuality, as we looked at last week, it's easier to choose wisdom of the world where you stand on your own goodness and righteousness against the wisdom of God. So James continued to address the selfishness and, and uh, the selfish ambition and the jealousy of heart. And he does teach us through James 4, 1 through 12, that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. In verse 12 of our passage, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. You see, if God was the only lawgiver, if he was only that, or if he was the only one who gives the rules and standards to live by, and if he was only the judge, the one that makes the verdict about our imperfection, if he was only those things, we would be doomed. Even though God is able to destroy, the verse says that he is also able to save. Thanks be to God. Through the Bible, we have been witnesses, indeed, of his salvific love towards sinners, you and me, and people who don't deserve his mercy. But God chooses to extend it to us. We have seen this through scripture. We've seen it through Exodus 34. 
Verse 6, the Lord passes before him, that is Moses, and proclaims the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We see it as Moses speaks to the Israelites before they enter the land through Deuteronomy 4. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Even in Matthew, we see this. Jesus tells the teachers of the law, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The crown and jewel, the verse that's near and dear to our hearts that we've heard over and over before, but hits at home. Titus 3, 4 through 5. But when the goodness... Whose goodness? God's goodness and love and kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's mercy endures. It does not end. Where there is judgment towards his people, God swoops in to save us through the loving kindness of Jesus. His death on the cross and his victory over the grave. Jesus was destroyed, friends, so that we may be saved and have life in him and not in and living in and of ourselves. This may not be explicitly stated in James. It's the backdrop. It's what he has in mind. It's on his heart as he writes. It's the reason for the passage. Even for those who are indeed saved by grace, who are under the mercy of God, we see from this passage an opposition to the grace of God. But we also see this call to be in submission to God. Let's look at these two things here. The opposition of grace to grace what leads this family of believers to oppose the grace of God in their lives? James says one thing is, the, is due to the conflict that is within, within their hearts, within their members. James asks in verse 1, what causes these quarrels and fights among you? James says they are in conflicts and disputes with each other because of their passions that, are in, that they are engaged in. They're battling within, within their members, in their hearts of each of them. It's a war that is going on. It's waged over their passions, passionate desires and selfish ambitions. Why? They have a strong desire to satisfy those passions. And since they do not have what they want, James says, they end up murdering. From this context, this is not actually taking the life of another person. But they are destroying each other with their words, with their arguments, their positioning. Jesus spoke to this point in Matthew 5, the Sermon of the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of a whole, you shall not murder, Jesus says. And whoever murders it will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. They are killing one another in their hearts through anger. James has already commanded them and warned them in chapter one, let every person be quick 
to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why is this? Anger of man, James says, does not produce the righteousness of God. Intense and overwhelming anger leads to broken fellowship and faithlessness to God and one another. We know what it's like to be at odds with somebody, even in our own households. Rather than listening and considering the other, it becomes easy to take verbal shots at one another and stand your ground as if you have a right to do it. Trust is eroded. The anger gets to a level where verbal slashing is allowed. Here's mine, here's yours. Here's mine, there's yours. The cause of this may have been over something good. Something good like trying to decide how to parent best. Something good like, you know, where are we going to go for dinner? Something good like deciding on uh, vacation plans and where are we going to go? Good things. Once flames erupts, it's hard to put out when the passionate desires are being held onto. Have you guys heard about the fires of electric cars? They're saying that the firefighters are, are having to rethink the whole thing. They went out, late, recently they went out to the scene and there's this electric car. I won't say the, 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 the brand of the car. But uh, they went out and they extinguished the fire. And then the, uh, the tow truck worker put the car on the lift and then it ignited again. And then they said, we can't figure this out. And as you see on the TV in the background, indeed, you know, they're spraying the car down and it's on fire. So it is with anger when we demand our desire. It's difficult to extinguish. It erupts again. We find new things to be angry about. Even further, James cites coveting here as a fact of the, the results of fighting and quarreling. They're having this intense negative feeling over each other's achievement and successes. They're filled with jealousy. When they cannot obtain what they want, they fight, they become hostile. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Their conflict is hindering their ability to pray. You know how it is when you're in a tense argument and battle to get what you want. Who stops and thinks, we should pray. Let me pray. No, the battle rages on. We're talking about these epic fights, these epic battles. We're angry and we're stuck in that mode. We want to win this argument and get what we want. So who says, let me pray to God. Let me pray to God so that we can squash this. Let's pray to God. That's grace working when that happens, actually. But the other person may say, what? Who wants to pray? They're mad. They're angry. They want to hold on to it. What is further is the, is the motive of their heart. James says the reason you do not receive what you ask for when you indeed do pray for what you want is because you're asking wrongly. You're asking wickedly. You're asking for the, all the wrong reasons that you may be God that, and not come under God. That you may get what you want and live the life that you want to live outside of the mercies of God. 
They want God to give them something that they do not need because they will spend it on their own passions and pleasures, which will not draw them closer to God, but will lead them to, into forfeiting the grace that could be theirs from God. Therefore, the conflict within has a self-centered disposition. The infighting, hostility, anger, and jealousy points to the great desire of the heart to be God. This leads to the conflict within the body of Christ with each other, but ultimately, the conflict within is really conflict with God. James says, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see, in our relationship with God, we're the bride of Christ. We're married to him. As a people, we are the bride of Christ. God gives an illustration of adultery of his people throughout the Old Testament, through Hosea's marriage to Gomer. Having a passion for the world more than God is enmity, meaning hatred with God. No one would put themselves in, a believer wouldn't put themselves in that light, would say that they hate God. But that's what James is saying when, when we are in conflict with God, loving the things of the world. James says here, and again in four, uh, verse 4, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So it's impossible to have it both ways. James gives the grounds of why this is the fact, why this is possible. In verse 5, Scripture says, He yearns jealousy. Jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You see, God desires that our worship and affections are given to him and not to false gods. Not given to ourselves and not given to other created things in the world. God commands the people of Israel to tear down the altars of the pagan gods in the land of Canaan. There can be no rivals in him. He's a jealous God. God says, for you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. See, you see, the, the opposition to grace is a prideful life. Pride is wrong because it does not desire the honor, the glory, the praise that belongs to God alone. What, God, what does God do when we are living in opposition to grace? He does not treat us as enemies, but as friends. As is stated in verse 6 here, he gives us more grace. We can just sit in that for a while. He gives us more grace. God, I don't deserve it. He gives us more. God, I don't need it. I don't deserve it. You know, I was at a playground one day, and there were two little boys playing. And they always played together. They were friends. And... Sometimes they would get in arguments and, and wrestle and, and be playful. But today, the anger got to the level where they began to throw bowls, begin to punch at each other. And as I looked at them do this, you know, knowing that they were friends, I was wondering, who's, who's going to stop this? Who's, who's going to relinquish that anger and control and indeed, one of the boys, he let down his guard and allowed his friend's friend just to punch him in the face. 
And I asked him, hey, why did you let your friend just punch you like that? You know, there were other options, running away or telling someone, but he just let the, the blows come. He feared losing his friend. He feared losing his friend over that fight. So he just relinquished all control. For those that believe in him, God counts us as friends. In Jesus, God took the blows of your sin and mine. Through the mercy of God, he offered his son as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. So that instead of being called an enemy, we may be called a friend. Yes, even as friends, we may be afraid of letting go because we are afraid that God may ask us to give up something that is near and dear to our hearts. And he may do that. He knows the distractions in our lives that will drive a wedge in our faith and trip us up. He knows the relationships that we need to take a risk in and speak up in when we are too afraid to do so. He is jealous over us because he loves us so much. You see, brothers and sisters, when we treat one another with contempt and lob bombs of criticism, condemnation, God does not bring judgment on us. Instead, he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace when we verbally assault one another. He gives us more grace when we do not pray to him for what we need and want. He gives us more grace when we hold him in contempt. He gives us more grace and this grace came at the cost of his one and only son, Jesus. So instead of turning the full arsenal of heaven towards you and me, God protected his own honor and glory by pouring out his eternal wrath on his one and only son through the cross. Through Jesus, we are called friends of God. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me? How amazing. How you love me is amazing. We just got through singing that, right? I am a friend of God. God breaks down the dividing wall of hostility and cools the conflict in our hearts by his amazing grace. So that we no longer stand in opposition to grace, to the God of grace, but live in full submission to God. God is here to help us. God is here to give us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. James gives a warning here and a promise God is set against the proud at heart, but he gives grace to the humble. Who are the humble? The humble are those who are under the grace of God, you and I. And by grace, there are, they are in full submission to God. They are submitting to God. They are bringing everything they have and, and arranging it under God. Hupatasso, the Greek word, submit, arrange under subjecting yourself to the authority and the superiority of another, to one that can be trusted, to one that you're in a relationship with. We do experience this from day to day in certain relationships, in employees and employer relationships, 
in the military, commanding officers and soldiers. As it relates to serving one another in the church, we are to submit to one another. We're to arrange ourselves under each other for the sake of serving one another with the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given us unto his glory. This is what it means here to submit unto God. There are times when it is not right to submit to those that are superior to us. And in in those times, maybe we are deceived and thinking that we can get away with some wrong. Maybe our superior, you know, our employer asks us to do something that goes against the very will of God in our lives. That goes against the very scripture that God calls us to follow and obey. In those times, it's better to obey God than to listen to man. We need wisdom for those times. We need honesty of heart for those times. We need humility for those times. And very quickly here, James shows us two ways, two ways how to be in submission to him. The, the way of humility before God and the way of humility before our neighbor. And we see here that the way of humility uh, does begin through submitting to God and also begins through resisting the devil. Here's the promise. He will flee from you, James says. When the evil one came before Jesus, we see this in Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted three times. But each time Jesus held on to the word of God, he held on to the word of God and he spoke that word back to the deceiver. He spoke that word to him and held on to that word. And it says the evil one left him for an opportune time, meaning that he's going to come back. But Jesus had to stand strong and we know that he did. He is our model for standing strong. It is true. The devil will flee when we withstand his temptations by turning away. It does become harder to resist temptations each time you give into it, though. That looks to be the case for brothers and sisters that James is writing to. They trusted more in their worldly wisdom than in the wisdom of God to settle their disputes. The more they gave into temptation of satisfying their own desires, the easier it was to give in to the temptation and believe that they deserve what they were, they were hoping for. But God says, what James says here in verse 8, draw near to God, another promise, and he will draw near to you. Again, we can sit in this for a long time. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So on this flip side of resisting the devil, we need to draw near to God and believe in this promise. After sinning, repentance is the path to travel. This is more than repentance, though. As one writer states, we come near to God to worship him, to serve him, to meet him, to seek him, to seek his help, and to gain assurance as well as to repent. It is better, therefore, to conclude that James is offering a far-reaching promise, a promise that other gods do not make. When we draw near to God, he also draws near to us. As Moses asked, what other nation is so great to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us when we pray to him? You see, in full submission to God, we can pray to him and God hears us. 
he draws near. Another thing James says here to consider, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The hands representing action and deeds, right? And of course, the hearts representing the the motives and and intentions. And being double-minded, representing being mindful, renewing our minds, not being unstable in our ways. All this comes by the grace of God, showing forth true humility. True believers that have been touched by grace, they want to seek and find God. And James says, hey, go down even further. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Be wretched. Be honest about sin. Mourn. Weep over it. You're breaking the very heart of God. But he's here for you. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. It's better to do that now than to wait to later to do that. That's the warning that James give, gives them to purify their hearts before the living God. And James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Another promise that this is not all for naught. That God is going to bring you up to the level where he wants you to be. And that's to the level of his own heart. That you would know his love and affections for you. So through grace, when we come to God in repentance and humility, he will forgive us and lift us up in his time. And James uh, asks us to consider one more thing here. The way of humility before neighbor. He says, hey, don't, don't slander. Slander was a huge problem for this community. James gives them the the command not to speak evil against a brother. Dragging someone else's name through the mud, as some people say. You know, gossip is taking the truth of somebody and taking it to a different end than what's intended. Slander is just being intentional about being nasty towards somebody else. You see what happens? You feel good about yourself. You're puffed up. But James is saying, no, three times he says, do not speak evil against a brother. Do not speak evil against a brother. The Bible talks about us building one another up in love, speaking well of one another. So when we refuse to yield in love on another's behalf, in essence, we're making ourselves the judge. The one who has the right to render the decisions in all matters, moral and legal. The point is this, you no longer become a doer of the law as someone who is under the law of liberty. What is this law of liberty? James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus showed us the way how to love our neighbors as ourselves when he fed the 5,000. Jesus showed us a way when he healed the sick on his way to home. Jesus showed us a way when he sat with a woman by a well and visited with her and disclosed himself to her. Jesus showed us the way by dying on the cross so that we would know what it means to take up our cross daily and follow him. We love God 
when we see our neighbor in need and lend a helping hand like Jesus. We love God when we speak up for the poor and marginalized, don't we? We love God when we seek the justice of the city. We love God also when we visit the sick, even with masks on. We love God when we give bread to the hungry. We love God when we give a drink to the thirsty, don't we? We love God when we welcome a stranger. We love God when we clothe the naked. We love God when we visit those that are in prison. We love God when we live in humble submission to him for the sake of our, of our neighbor. We are neighbors of one another. James gives this final question. So who are you to judge your neighbor? If the church is busy about following Christ and emulating his ways and suffering his service, how can we begin to think that we're better than someone else when we're yielded before Christ? All judgment then is left for Jesus, the true judge who's able to save and to destroy. Thanks be to God that he is not done saving yet. By the grace of God, let's reach out to one another, to our neighbors, our neighbors in the pews here, our neighbors in our neighborhoods, our neighbors on the block, our neighbors at work. You know, Arthur Booth was sentenced to 10 years in prison. The day of his release, release, his family was there. And also Judge Mindy Glazer. After a friendly embrace from his middle school friend, she said, go, go on and do something good for someone else and make good on your promise. We have a judge, friends, who has given us the heavenly embrace through Jesus, God has made good on his promise. He is faithful. He does not leave us to stand in opposition to grace. He pronounces that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you belong to Jesus, you are the humble. The one that is in submission to him because of his great grace. You are the lowly in the world, friends, like Jesus, who is gentle, yielded to the love of God, with which you love him. God has done this in our hearts. And you are following him in his ways that, <clears throat> excuse me, that he teaches you how to love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks be to God, friends, that we can do this by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank you. You have showered us with blessing like you're showering the earth. Now, oh God, you know what we need to do. You're here to help us to do it. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.